0: Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you today by Gaslowitz-Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether it be through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz. And we're talking about wealth and philanthropy.
1: Now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today Patrick Wren, president of Wren Wealth Management, uh, Justin Sullivan, investment advisor and vice president at PNC Wealth Management, and Etai Tsur, senior director of Planned Charitable Giving and Endowment for the Jewish Federation of Greater Atlanta. And before we get started, uh, if each of you could just give uh, a brief uh, description of what you guys do for our audience. Uh, Etai, why don't you start? All right. So uh,
2: thank you, Adam. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Thanks for having us. Uh, So I'm Senior Director of uh, Planned Giving at Jewish Federation. uh, And as of next month, as of January, that will be the Atlanta Jewish Foundation. So it's a big shift that we can uh, go over later in the program. And basically, we enable uh, donors to uh, fulfill their charitable vision. So we are sort of um, facilitators, and we sit down and work with donors on, on whatever it is that they want to fund. And we find A variety of plan giving and other vehicles to to help them uh, get there.
3: Justin? Greetings. My name is Justin Sullivan. I'm with PNC Wealth Management, where I am an investment advisor, and I am one person of a five person team where we provide investments, wealth planning, trust and estate services, private banking, and relationship management for wealthy individuals.
4: Pat? I'm Patrick Wren. The name of the firm is the Wren Wealth Management Group. I'm the old man in the group. I've been uh, doing this for 40 years now, and uh, we are a boutique operation that focuses on comprehensive financial planning for our clients, and philanthropy is a big part of that.
0: Well, let's start off. So we're sitting here right the day before Thanksgiving, and it seems like today is a time to talk about what we should be thankful for and potentially how we can go about making our gifts for the year. So let's kind of break it up and start with the kind of the obvious. We've got about 30, 35 days till the end of the year. Is there any advice that you have for our listeners who may have already given some but haven't quite finished what they could or want to do this year? So what could we do in the next 35 days for some of our listeners? And, Pat, why don't we start with you?
4: Well, I would say uh, this is the time of year where you sit down – with your advisor or with a charity, and and look at your personal situation. One thing I would look at uh, is to see what your taxable income for the year is. That's a helpful uh, figure to have. And then what gifts you might have made and uh, that are now left undone, perhaps, that you might need to clean up. And is any of the property that you own a candidate for that? Most charities focus on cash, but cash is typically the smallest percentage of anybody's net worth. Justin?
1: Yeah,
3: I think there's two ways to look at this, and this will be a theme throughout today's discussion, but I think you have the tax component and then you just have the the generosity factor along with it. And for those of us that are employed and some of us that work for uh, large corporations, I think it's time to seek where you can uh, enhance the gift that you give. And a lot of large companies have matching gifts so it might be a good time to kind of look at the the intraweb of your employer and just kind of look at some additional resources. Maybe the the dollars that you plan to gift can be uh, doubled by someone else who who uh, who will match that gift.
0: And, and that's a great idea. I do want to mention that something Pat had told me before the show. Some families get together and try to do giving, and I have seen, and I think Pat has seen, some families where the patriarchs or the gr- or the grandparents actually match the gifts. Of their younger family members as a way to start bringing them in, which also can work. And and I'm telling all the grandchildren and the children, you know, it's okay to ask your parents.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a an excellent uh, point, and really ties in the holidays and, and philanthropy, and really taking advantage of these opportunities when families get together and with Thanksgiving, they're they're thankful. And I think that you know, when you describe what you're thankful for, it enables you as a family to sort of understand what is important to you. And I think that philanthropy is an expression really of, of what is important to you. Now, from the nonprofit perspective, the, the one thing I would want the listeners to be cognizant of is don't wait till the last minute. Everyone wants to get their gift in before midnight on December 31st if there's a taxable um, component or, or motivation. Um, and the nonprofit organizations, and I can tell you this from firsthand knowledge, are swamped, so the sooner you at least, and we we'll, i am sure—we'll talk later on about things like donor advised funds, where you can at least park the money um, for before you decide how um, you want to express how you'd want it to be um, uh, uh, granted out. But yeah, I mean, please don't wait till the last minute. Yeah.
1: Well, so um, so on that note, a, lo- a lot of families have a, a general sense of the kinds of charities they like to give to. Some of them have a history of giving to or supporting certain charities. A lot of people. Don't really know that. They know they want to be charitable. They know that they want to give more, but they, they don't really have a particular charity in mind. And sometimes the best they can do is narrow it down to a category. And Justin, I know you, you and your firm do a lot of work with, with helping people sort of figure out if they're interested in domestic violence issues or they're interested in hunger <clears throat> or poverty, they, that, that you can help them sort of narrow down the focus to specific types of charities that may meet their needs. How do you go about doing that? or How do people do that? Yeah, I
3: think it's important to uh, to not become discouraged if you don't have a specific charity. Um, normally, it's one of two reasons. One, maybe you're just so preoccupied that you haven't put the thought into it, and the other reason could just be uh, you, you become a little paralyzed in the due diligence around vetting this organization. So there are some ways to, uh, to go about just choosing a classification or a general cause and to put your dollars in that place. Uh, at PNC, we we do a uh, have a, a donor advised fund, which allows you to park the money um, into a, a general fund, and then you can choose the charities afterwards. So there's there's no rush to do that. And tell uh,
0: us, tell us, our our listeners, what is a donor advised fund?
3: Right, a donor advised fund is a tax exempt charity um, in and of itself. So essentially, um, it is a way to make a donation. Uh, a charitable donation, you reap the tax benefit immediately. and however, you don't have to deal with the due diligence or, or just the general pressure of trying to select a, a beneficiary of those funds. Um, so these are assets that are invested and there's a number of different ways they can be invested. But the, the, the two main benefits of a donor advised funds of a donor advised fund is that for one, you can, you can optimize the timing of your gift, uh, we talk about this being the end of the year, so you can put the funds there, get the tax benefit, and worry about the, the beneficiary later. And the other piece is the administrative component, so full um, tax preparation on the on the gift and um, just the general due diligence around the the uh, beneficiary.
1: So, for example, if someone knows they want to give $10,000 before the end of the year, they just don't know where and they don't have time to think about it, they can set up a donor-advised fund with PNC or I know with uh, Federation also, and the Atlanta Community Foundation. <clears throat> and, um, and that money is, is treated as if the donation were made in that tax year, even though they haven't actually given it out to a charity yet. And then you guys would maintain the account and allow the donor to then decide either th- at that time or, or over time where to dole out that money. That's right. I,
0: I want to go back to the benefits of donor advice funds. But before we do that, Pat, can you tell us, because the first thing you mentioned was there may be tax-motivated uh, reasons for giving either
4: beginning or the end of the year explain kind of generally what that is sure uh the major tax benefits are uh current deduction for the gift, and uh typically that is uh limited uh to fifty percent if it's cash, fifty percent of your adjusted gross income, thirty percent if it's other type of property typically long term capital gain type property. most people uh don't use that up uh <laughs> And uh, even if you do, you have five years to carry that forward. So that's the tax motivation. I would tell you that uh, in my experience, I've never developed a gift solely through tax motivation. But I will also tell you I've been successful in increasing a gift because of the tax motivation. Most people can give more. They just don't know how.
0: Eta explained to me, so we've got, uh, donor-advised funds, and we heard Justin talk about them, it seems to me one of the advantages of a of a donor-advised fund is the ability to plan your giving and know how much you're giving in any given year that kind of helps you regulate. Right. Are you seeing families doing that type of, for lack of a better word, um, regulation and planning?
2: Yeah, I mean, I Craig, I think that um, one thing I would add just about donor-advised funds, in, in addition to sort of the timing um that they enable uh, the donors to make. So, in a sense, you, you've made your gift the moment you give it to the for, to, to the nonprofit, uh, or you know, to whatever the the, the housing um, organization is. But it's, a, it's always a nonprofit. Um, and it's important for for listeners to understand that you know you have given up control, and that's that's an important thing that we constantly remind donors. Um, in that you don't, for their protection, if they do want a tax deduction for these kinds of gifts, it's you know the, the, the all the hallmarks that it is ultimately. The nonprofit that controls these assets um, have to be in place. But, you know, they, what they have is they've established advisory privileges that the nonprofit takes with great gravity when, uh, when they ask, you know, I recommend that it go to such and such um, organization. Um, the only other thing I would add um, for the benefit of Donor Advice Fund is it in many ways operates like a private foundation, offers a lot of flexibility in the kinds of gifts that you can make. So we, for instance, this time, and I was just looking at an email on my way in. Um, we have Not donors- while you were driving, of course. No, heaven forbid. <laughs> um, on my way in, that we have donors who are pri- bis- private business owners. They don't have publicly traded assets. So a lot of people will, will, will put cash or um, highly appreciated assets, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, um, into their highly appreciated publicly traded assets into their donor advised funds, which are very common. But we also have um, a framework in place to accept illiquid or non-publicly traded assets and – many of the same benefits um, of, of making those kinds of gifts are available because you have a donor advised fund. And um, it, again, enables you to, to add that kind of step um, to control the process uh, to some extent of how the money is given, when it's given, and the timing. So in terms of, you know, Craig, your, your question is, do people really utilize the donor advised funds to create sort of a structured framework around the giving? The, the answer is absolutely. And it's a really a wonderful tool, you know, for the grandparents who want to match gifts You know, for you to have that discussion around the Thanksgiving table, you know that this donor advised fund exists and you really can plan out the next year, five years, ten years uh, around your giving, depending on how much is going into the fund.
1: And and just so we're clear, because I'm not sure the the audience is completely clear on this yet, um, when when you talk about making the donation to the nonprofit, let's say it's the federation Mm -hmm. or PNC or the uh, community foundation, you know, that's the nonprofit you're talking about in terms of when the donor gets the donation. Correct. But that is not the end recipient of the donation. It is then is parked in that, in that entity right. for further distribution to the specific charities that the donor would w- then want to give to. That's
0: exactly right. Okay. And it could be charities that are not affiliated with the nonprofit or the, or the donor advice. Fund right. So Jewish holder. Federation,
2: right. So Jewish Federation, we have several uh, donor advice fund holders, for instance, we're not even Jewish and many, and I look over, you know, and, and the other thing is, is the, the, as the nonprofit that houses the donor advice funds, we audit and make sure that the organizations that you're making recommendations to make distributions towards are, in fact, legitimate organizations. We check their 51 c 3 status. We, you know, If there's anything that seems odd about them, we you know, alert the donor and, and make sure. Um, and this is all to protect the donor. So you're well
0: doing some, some natural vetting that is hard for
2: individuals. Right, and they don't have the time nor you know, they're busy. Making, or the ability, perhaps. Or the ability, correct. And
0: Justin, you you talked about controlling it. Who who makes the decision on the, uh, or how it's going to be invested? Once you've put it into a donor advised fund, I assume it's a pooled fund, so to speak, who makes the investment decisions?
3: Right. So it it is a pooled fund, and I should probably say pooled funds. There's a few different um, flavors, if you will. There's a sort of a a money market style fund, and you can go up to more of a growth oriented style fund. And I I think it's worth noting that the tax benefit that comes to the donor is for the amount that they give so if the if you put it in a growth style fund and this investment grows and dividends and interest come to the to the fund that that is not something that is tax deductible it's an it's an irrevocable gift that is donated and you get the the tax benefit up front
0: i I always like to define irrevocable because we always forget which one it is it's kind of like regardless and irregardless (laughs) you know what it means but you don't really irrevocable means you can't get it back that's right that's important to know. Yeah.
3: Uh, t- to answer your initial question, um, there there is a general fund manager, I'll call it, that makes the investment decisions. So the donor can decide whether it's going to be in this, the conservative or slow lane or in the aggressive, more uh, more fast lane. But ultimately, the, the changes within mutual funds, the investment decisions are going to be managed by a,
0: a portfolio manager that runs these, these programs. Can the donors decide that for a while they're in a conservative Kind of funds and say, you know, now I think we should go to a growth phase. They can.
1: And also, there's no requirement that the entire amount that's donated to the fund be distributed to one charity or another. Right. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. In terms of um, the things that you can donate to a fund, Eta, you alluded to um, non-liquid type assets, right? Um, but there are other things that you can donate to these funds that will give additional tax benefit and 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 thus perhaps additional amounts that can be donated to a charity for example appreciated stock you can sell stock pay the capital gains tax on it and and gift the the remaining cash or you can donate the appreciated stock and and have the entire amount absent the tax be donated so you thing- kind of can up it up
4: by not having to pay the tax yeah that's an excellent point it i think it offers you an opportunity to increase the gift
1: so highly appreciated stock you know the coke stock you bought for a dollar that's now worth fifty dollars a share you can donate a share, get a $50 deduction, sell the stock, not pay any capital gains, and be able to give the whole $50 away.
4: Right, and if you still want to own Coke stock, you can buy some Coke stock, and you've increased your cost basis, and therefore, in the future, you've lowered your your personal tax. So what you do is you take the
0: cash you would have given to the charity, buy the Coke stock or whatever, and you give the appreciated stock to the charity, you've avoided the tax, you've gotten a deduction,
4: and now... You can go from the appreciation for right. whatever you paid for it. And that deduction is worth something, depending on your tax bracket. You can use that savings to repurchase the stock if you so choose. It- Ita, you talked about non-liquid
0: assets. Right. That kind of I, I, – I wasn't <clears throat> familiar with that. How do you use a non-liquid asset in a donor-advised fund?
2: I mean, so I'll give you an example of, of something that that we see and I expect – we have what you said, 35 days. I expect to have at least two or three of these come up. Um, you're a business owner, and you're about to have what uh, what the advisors call a liquidation event, right? So, someone's either about to buy your business, or they're about to invest heavily in your business, and you know the the shares of your business, you know, Craig Inc. Um, or Gazlitz Frankel, right? Um, Craig Inc. sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, that the shares of the business suddenly are worth a lot more because you know you you have a lot more uh, this this infusion of cash or other value. And say let's say it's Craig Inc. is about to be sold. So whatever your basis is, and, and usually if you're a founder of the company, it tends to be extraordinarily low. Um, you have a tremendous amount of appreciation in in that business. And so what happens is you say, okay, uh, Itai, I wanna give um, into my donor advised fund, you know, say 20%, that's a sort of a magic number um, for other reasons, but 20% of my company, and thus um, I'll have two benefits. One, um, as Patrick said, you know, you'll, you'll have the benefit of um, Writing uh, down the, um, you'd have the the available to the tax deduction, inclusive of any capital gains built in to that value, and um, you will then also have uh, funded a donor advised fund um, with you know a, a very a highly valued asset. So what happens is you gift the asset before you are an under <clears throat> under any obligation to sell the company. So you want to be clear of any sort of understanding, certainly any formal understanding that you know you're about to sell the company. And you'll gift that to, to the federation or whatever the housing organ, the housing uh, nonprofit is, and uh, then they'll be your partner at, with a twenty percent usually non voting interest in your company. But the but the appreciation will be non taxable. Correct. Is that okay? Correct. Right, because the, you've given it to a, an organization that's a nonprofit and doesn't pay tax. So
1: the capital gains tax never gets paid on that portion.
2: Well, in you know, the way we look at it, is, is it just gets moved to the you know instead of going to the government, it goes to the op, the operation of the nonprofit, which. Uh, has been set up by the government to sort of, off, you know, to offset some of the the government's responsibilities. Right?
0: It, so. He gave you the Trump answer. You're <laughs> allowed to take advantage of the rule.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> and and we, we 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 encourage that. But in the end, you know, and this this goes back to the overarching. I mean, ph- philanthropy isn't only about tax planning. And when we talk about you know arrangements that I just described, that's what we call a federation strategic philanthropy. But in the end, it's all philanthropy. And so yes, you you should take advantage of the tax rule, and you should maximize. You're giving. And these rules exist for a reason. Right. I believe it's been since 1919. We've had charitable deduction for uh, for for giving to nonprofits. um, And there's good public benefit to that. But uh, Trump, answer notwithstanding, uh, definitely take advantage of the rules and definitely maximize your philanthropy.
0: And just to put it in perspective, 1919 is just a year or two after we implemented the uh, income tax, I think was 1915.
1: Are right, you listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth? We are your hosts, Greg Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz from the fiduciary litigation firm of Lewis Frankel. Uh, we are talking today with Patrick Wren, president of the Wren Wealth Management Group, Justin Sullivan, investment advisor with PNC Wealth Management, and Etai Tsuer, senior director of planned charitable giving and endowment for the Jewish Federation. We are discussing today wealth and philanthropy.
0: We heard a minute ago about uh, Thanksgiving being a wonderful time to sit around the table and talk about charitable giving. So let's put each of you on the spot. How many of your families that you're advising are actually doing that, sitting around the table around Thanksgiving and talking and planning for their giving?
4: Well, I'll go first. Uh, We've suggested this to a lot of folks, and uh, they uh, really like the idea now. How many of them have actually implemented it? We'll find out next year when we sit down and and, uh, meet with our clients and review their situation. I'll remind them that we mentioned this and had they taken advantage of it. So I'll find out. My guess is most of our clients have a philanthropic – they have philanthropic bones in their body. And one of the values that we can bring to the table is to help them – transfer this to the next generation and the next generation after that. So I think a lot of them will take advantage of it. And you just wrote a
1: book called uh, Finding Your Money's Greater Purpose, and a lot of what you talk about in the book is, is helping families who are you know, already charitably inclined right. to, to realize that they can do more, that they can do
4: things perhaps sooner, and that they are uh, more capable than they uh, might otherwise have thought. Absolutely. These examples of the donor advised fund are great examples of how you can increase that gift. Uh, The magic words are, I wish I could do more, but. And the but is, I need to put my kids through college. I need to uh, have more income for retirement. I need to take care of a special needs child. All those can be uh, enhanced through philanthropy. And that's what a lot of people don't really understand.
0: So you are able to actually save and, and for the unexpected, kind of the fear of every adult with children, um, what am I going to do when I'm old, uh, and still use philanthropy not only in a good sense but also to help you with that planning.
4: Absolutely.
1: So, so how do you start that conversation? I'll throw it out to Justin or Etai. How do you start that conversation? So there are people listening who, who may be charitably inclined themselves. They're business people. They they, they work in the community and, and donate in the community, but they haven't really brought their family along. How do they start that conversation? Maybe it's around Thanksgiving or, or some other time, but how do they begin to discuss with their family?
3: Yeah, I think Thanksgiving is a perfect time, and Etai and made a really good point in that, you know, the the – making charitable donations is is a very important part of the family and it's i think it's a legacy component to to what people are doing and so um you have to look at the bigger need um ita made a point about taking advantage of of the tax situation that we have or or the benefits that are available but i think the more important aspect is that federal spending towards charities has been on a decline for a long period of time Mm -hmm. so there there's a need that needs to be met and I think you start the discussion as a family and say there, there's a need out there. There was a time where the government gave more to these causes, but, but they don't as much as they used to. And, however, there's a silver lining, and that is there there is a tax benefit. We, or, in other words, there's an incentive for us to step up and to to take on this role. And it's, it's really a societal role. There's a benefit for, for us all. So I think that's how you start the, this, the discussion with what is the, what is the problem and where do we stand in that? Where, where do we... Um, have an obligation
2: really to to step up and give yeah and <clears throat> just to piggyback on what the, what Justin said um there's 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 very interesting discussions i think in 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 Jewish text and not something I have any expertise in um about whether the altruistic nature of philanthropic gifts you know if if you're giving purely for altruistic motives, you know, you see a need and it's unmet, and even if it's not something you care about, you know, is that, is that true altruism or if it makes you feel good, right? If it's an activity, not unlike sort of the thrill one gets from buying a new watch, right? If it just makes you feel good to be doing this, is that true altruism? Because part of your motivation is, um, is that, is that desire to feel good? And you know, my answer is yes. And yes, I mean, give for whatever reason you want to give. Um, so I think that in, well, the, charity,
1: in the the charities are the happy to take the, yeah. the,
2: the, the money's good either way. But in terms of, you know, having that discussion, I think that, you know, people, I wish if I, if I could sort of impart one thing, I wish people would, would think more and more about, you know, giving just so they can feel better about the end of the year, you know, the end of the year can be a very stressful time for a lot of people, family. I mean, I'm sure I know you guys deal with it firsthand, uh, in your work. And I think are that you saying
0: we get an uptick in January? I can only I can only fathom. It.
2: Um, but I, I, I certainly believe that even even if one's motivated just to feel a little better about their situation by making the lives of others by improving the lives of others, I think that's a very powerful motivation, very powerful way to, to open up those discussions. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think
1: that's an insignificant point. I mean it, there may be some some component of selfishness in, in the in the idea that if you're giving, to a charity and feeling good about having give, given, that 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 there's some selfishness in that, but I don't think that's really the the answer. I mean, I think that that feeling better about being connected to the community, being connected to um, the needs that are around you and addressing those needs, makes you feel more like part of that community. And it makes you feel like you should be more involved and maybe give more. And so and and the change that that happens when you start giving, is uh, sort of a lifetime change. It's not just a one time event. Um, the the difficulty is imparting that to your children Mm -hmm. and to have them become a part of that same process so that they get the same benefit out of it that that you do. And that's the the harder conversation to have. I think people are just uncomfortable with, you know, taking perhaps their small children, uh, sitting around the Thanksgiving table and talking about how, you know, we as a family are going to start making contributions and and the children Mm -hmm. are going to help decide what what gifts perhaps to make. Uh, But bringing the family along creates more than just a gift. It creates sort of a lifetime identity with Connection and community and giving,
0: and, and let's let's actually emphasize that a, a bit more. We're seeing now what I think is a wonderful trend of giving more during life than necessarily in a testamentary gift, a gift after life. And those are wonderful gifts. But one of the advantages of giving while you're able to is you get to watch the benefit of your giving, and more importantly, your kids get to see. Um, what good that you were able to do. And to me, it's a further example. But let's go back to what kind of what Adam said. Trying to teach kids to want to give. Um, it's very hard. Children, our children growing up today, there's so many commercial things. They want more and more, and we're able to give them more and more. How do we talk to them and instill or suggest to them that maybe they should be thinking about others?
3: I'll start. I, I think it, I think it begins with volunteerism. I, I think it's a very good practice to begin volunteering with your time. After all, when you're a child and you don't have income, that you can give your time. So I, I think that's a great place to start. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing to volunteer to get to know the people who are making this, the decisions within the, the, um, the nonprofit and to kind of build a relationship and, and to see where your money goes, whether your, your kids are given $10 or whether the parents are given $10,000, um, I think it's more about the proportion that you give, the heart with which you give. And I really think giving of your time is a great place to start.
4: That's a great uh, point, I think, that uh, if you can get involved together, it's even stronger. Uh, years ago, I was involved with the uh, Georgia Special Olympics. I have two boys. And there's a winter game and a summer game. And uh, I would take one of them. We'd spend the night and volunteer uh, at those events. And you know, you never know what effect you have. But uh, for me, that's part of, part of the legacy, part of the family legacy. No money was involved. We just went and, and gave our time. Wonderful cause. They got to see uh, the effect of volunteering. So, I would say it's not always about money and it, it's, it's
0: part of the problem I find with my peer group is a somewhat level of discomfort and volunteering. It's something they haven't done, ah. and how do you start teaching your children to do it? Um, you just said something that's fascinating to me, which is being away with your child alone to me, that is a gift mm-hmm. and it doesn't if you're volunteering is even better, but the time you're going to have to talk and to be alone will be so special but let's talk to those parents who for whatever reason haven't volunteered a lot and they find it difficult how do you help them volunteer with their kids
2: i mean again i think it's it it all begins with the discussion understanding sort of what's important to you i'm i'm was just had a memory of uh probably 25 years ago it was right around christmas time and uh my father uh, who didn't volunteer a ton, b- but loved animals. And he decided, let's go to the shelter. And we're going to go you know, buy whole bags of food and bring it to the shelter, uh, to the animal shelter. And, you know, those are indelible memories uh, for me. And I think that they the also. The fact that
0: you remember it 25
2: years absolutely. later is
0: in and of itself significant.
2: And so, you know, I guess the point is it doesn't take. It's kind of like when you lose touch with a friend and then you're like, well, what are we going to talk about? You know, it's, you start with something, you know. And so even, even one single instance of volunteerism, you say, OK, this is important to me. Um, what can I do to express um, and to really feel that I'm actually helping, even in some small part? And I think that that's another thing that oftentimes you know, we look at some some major major issues, poverty or the the, the, the inequality gap, and, and things that you know no one individual, no matter how well off, can can dramatically impact. Mm-hmm. It's not about you know one person's actions in their lifetime dramatically impacting, but it's it's about as um, Adam had said, it's really about a lifetime of, of being more, um, having more awareness and and more of a sense of purpose vis-a-vis that, um, that cause. Um, and it's, I think it just all comes back to, you know, it's important to you. It's sort of, it's maximizing fulfillment of your life by, by taking actions that, that express that.
1: one, One thing you can do, even if you're not volunteering is, um, is to deliver the checks in person. You know, you can have the kids help pick out the charity. Maybe it's a humane society or or something that the kids might be familiar with. But having them physically deliver the checks and go down and see the operation as opposed to just dropping it in the mail, uh, we found in the past has a huge impact.
0: Okay, let's go back. I want to go back to the Thanksgiving meal. So I think we're having ours this year for the first time. We're not going away. It's my whole family. And so we're going to have three generations. And we're going to have kids as little as two and a half and kids as old as 24, and parents, we're not going to say what they are, and grandparents that have eights in front of their uh, their numbers. We're going to eat at 5 o'clock. What ideas do you have for me and people like my family for us to start this conversation? I want you to assume that we've never done this.
2: Mm. I mean, I'll, I'll start. I, I think that the opportunity to... Say this is what I'm thankful for. Provides a, a tremendous um, inroads to expressing what's important to you. You know, I'm thankful that we have a roof over our house, You know, a roof over our heads. I'm thankful that we have you know this food and our families together. Um, and I think that that can open up a lot of discussions. You know, if you so direct it to what your values are and where in the community around you you can express those values in a philanthropic or, or charitable uh, or through volunteerism.
0: Should you have come there ready with suggestions, perhaps the patriarchs and matriarchs of the family saying, let's take a first step, or should you start with just talking?
3: I think you should start with just talking. When I think about Thanksgiving, I think about this, there's this great divide that is the adults' table and the kids' table on Thanksgiving, and I think sometimes whether that you just learned a lot
0: about your family
3: <laughs> whether whether there is there are actually two different tables or not i think there is always the adult issues and the, and the kid issues and i think they need to be um, combined come together i think everyone should have a responsibility i'll just kind of as i think about um, millennials and, and just children that, that have better a better handle around technology there's a lot of different ideas that they can contribute to. I mean, the, the adults may have the general uh, thought about charitable giving, but the kids. I mean, there's GoFundMe accounts. There's um, there's Twitter. There's there's all kind of ways that these that a younger generation can go about accumulating uh, money to give. And so I, I don't think it, I think we'd be a little closed minded to think that the older generation has the money and the kids can help by picking and vetting. I think the kids can raise funds, too, and I think they'd be excited to do it.
4: Yeah, I like this idea of starting with what we're thankful for, and then the next question is, well, what do you want to do about it?
0: You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaslowitz-Frankel. We're talking today with Etai Sur, Justin Sullivan, and Pat Wren. Let's, let's kind of pick up on that. So starting on the idea of talking about what you're thankful is pretty amazing. What are some of your suggestions as families start to kind of dip into it to get their toes wet? What are some suggestions you would give to families as to ways they could start the process knowing that it is a journey,
4: not a single trip? Let me just give you a, a, a very concrete and recent example. I have a, a client whose son is a cancer survivor. And he sent out a, uh, an email the other day and said, um, we're thankful for his recovery, and we're going to have a fun run uh, to uh, raise funds for the cancer center, would you be willing to contribute? That's just a small example. There are lots more like that, but I would say if there's anything like that in your family that you can focus on, that might be a way to get started. I've recently been been given some really good advice about giving, and I think you sh- you
3: should give from two places. You should give from what you're grateful for, and you should give from what your heart is broken for. So I think that the, the Thanksgiving discussion should begin with what you're grateful for, and it can it can move on to what is your heart broken for this year? What what what
2: what hurts you? I like that. We. Um recently did uh, some some work with uh, Dr. Marshall Duke at Emory uh, University, who for the last 20 or 30 years has been talking about the importance of storytelling in keeping families together. And I think that in discussing sort of where you've come from, the ups and the downs, you know, from rags to riches, um, there's been a lot uh, to to suggest that it it enables the next generation, and kids especially, to have a better context of, of where they come from and their own ability to withstand what life throws at them. And I think that in telling that narrative, there's a lot of opportunity to to express, you know, how philanthropy and how your values really have kind of fueled the family story. Um, and so, I would I, I think that that broader narrative really provides you with long term context to to provide to the kids.
1: There are probably a lot of families who don't really know where that came from. I mean, there's a lot of first generation wealth that we deal with. Most wealth in this country is first generation wealth, and there's a lot of uh, families of of those entrepreneurs who really don't know how that entrepreneur started, how right. you know what their life was like, and how different it is from the lives that their their kids have led.
2: And entrepreneurs tend to be, <clears throat> they tend to be more philanthropic as a, as a rule. I think usually because they understand all you know that I, I, when I was getting my MBA, there was some class where they were talking about you know you have all these books that say okay, well if I just do what Lee Iacocca did, well I will be fabulously successful, and it doesn't account for things like you know luck. And other people helping him. And so I think that entrepreneurs, you know, really typically understand because they've worked so hard to build what they have, all of the societal um, factors that went into really helping them along the way. And I think that's why they tend to give back so much. And to the extent that they could impart that knowledge to their kids or or their grandkids,
1: uh, I think it could do a world of good. So how do you start? How do you start? Um, The... Conversations around our dinner table often centered around um, we want to give a certain amount this year and we'd like the family to decide who gets what. So we want input from the children, and no grandchildren in my case, but um, when we had dinners at my my in-laws' houses, there were grandchildren involved, and, and the discussion would be we want the children to decide some of this. You know, this this portion is gonna be decided by them, this portion is gonna be decided by us. And that discussion um, Created a, a, an interaction among the children and and the grandchildren, that was that was a pretty healthy discussion that sort of carried on to this day, and that that type of discussion I think is probably a useful thing to start out with, to say that you know you you our children are gonna are going to either pick or help us decide where we as a family are going to give to, and that discussion I think is is hard for some but I think it worked pretty well in our family
0: and, and let's talk about some mechanisms sometimes you don't want to share the amounts. Sometimes you want the kids to participate financially. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you want matching. So kind of give us some ideas that families might use. And this could be families that are donating a small amount because of their economic means or a large amount because from my perspective, and I hope we've shared this with our children, you give no matter how much you have. We can give in different ways, volunteering, other things. So so what are some of the ways families can talk about giving together?
4: Well, I'll put in a plug again for the donor-advised fund because uh, that can actually be a perpetual fund that you can groom the next generations to be involved with, not only contributing but having some uh, knowledge of what happens to the money over time, Uh, the investment side and the giving side. So I think it's a great tool to help uh, educate uh, that next generation doesn't always have to be money, but that's a great source if it is money. And now I would just add that I think that when we look at something like a donor advised fund
2: or even just a family mission statement, all right, so whatever we decide as a family, it's the act of we decide that really is where your family gets the benefit. Now, you know, it it may... uh, you know, in, 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 in an ideal world, it enables them to avoid having them to turn to you, you know, years later, should something go south in their family. It's called the basement. Right. Um, but you know, that's, that's where I think using something like whether it's a donor advised fund or whether it's even just saying, look, this year, we're going to, we're going to then go to the special Olympics and volunteer. Um, Craig, I mean, you made an excellent point. There's always something you can do. And I think that, one of the issues when we use fluutin words like philanthropy is people think, "Well I, I need to have a net worth of 50 million dollars before I can consider myself a philanthropist. That's, that's not what it means. It means that you know you care about your fellow man and you want to do something about it, and some of us do it through uh, you know uh, sweat equity, and some of us do it through you know infusion of, of, of money, whatever we, we have the time or the will to do.
0: Interestingly, statistically, people with less money give a greater percentage of their income. To charities than people with more money, and it may just be where they are. Mm-hmm. Justin, could you answer one question for me that our listeners may want to know? Is there a minimum you've got to put into a directed a donor directed fund before you can start the fund?
3: Yeah, I'll throw out a, a few numbers here. Uh, when it comes to the donor advised fund at PNC, there's initial an initial investment of ten thousand dollars. You can add uh, in increments of one thousand dollars, and you can make donations to charities with as as little as two hundred fifty dollars. So those are kind of the three important numbers associated. And that's just with the, the PNC donor advised fund that may vary for others.
0: And, and like, tell me what those numbers might be for nonprofits that are doing the same thing, or perhaps other uh, wealth management advisors. In terms of
2: our, our minimums etc. Yes. right? So um, speaking at least for the federation, we just changed our fees uh, about 10 months ago. Uh, it's 2500 to open a donor advised fund. Um, and the um, you can give as much or as little as you want. The minimum increments – um, to, uh, to a nonprofit are a hundred dollars that's to cover the administrative costs that we have to, you know, we, you'll get a letter <clears throat> sent out accompanying a check, et cetera. And obviously the accounting for it.
0: Okay. We're nearing the end of our show. And I, I do want to put a plug in that we can do, whether we use donor advised funds today and kind of decide our charities later, it's a good idea to start thinking about charitable giving at the new year as well. And to think about the planning. What are we going to do in the upcoming year and following up and making a, you know, putting it on the calendar for next Thanksgiving to talk about what you've done from the first year, but you got, you know, 30 seconds each. What is your advice today? What should a family do today at the end of the year with 35 days left? What are the opportunities, your best suggestion that somebody should suggest at the Thanksgiving table
4: um, tomorrow? I would say make the gift as soon as possible.
3: My best piece of advice is to focus on January 1st. You've, you've got a few weeks ahead of you. Just plan and, and just make sure you start the new year off w- with a clear written-out plan so that you can at least start from a clean slate. Because right now, aside from a few different bits of action, it, it
2: is late. It's late in the game. Right, and I, I would say for those, especially those who, who have uh, more uh, more assets to give, Um, Start focusing on where you want to give instead of I mean, we, we tend to spread it out because it makes us feel good. But if we really want impact, understand what your family mission is. Start focusing on what nonprofits are consistent with that mission. And as Justin said, really start writing down. And I would say chronicle even all that you're doing so that you have something to go off from year to year to year, generation to generation. And I'm going to tell
0: you what I've heard today that you haven't told me, but I've actually heard it. When I go back today, I'm going to make a list. I happen to keep be somewhat organized, but I'm going to make a list of what I've given to charity this year already. And I'm going to talk with my family about how much more we're going to give this year, because I often give the majority of my gifts in December. And maybe that'll help me start planning better for next year.
1: So, so, So as part of that discussion this year, we ought to talk about what we're going to give before the end of this year and, and talk now about what we're going to do differently next year. Now let's talk in January about how much we're going to give during 2016, and let's plan out starting in January, not in November, how we're going to make those gifts happen. Uh, let me uh, ask each of you to provide contact information, uh, website, social media, hashtag, whatever, whatever you'd like uh, for our listeners to, uh, to be able to contact you. And Pat, I know you're very social media savvy, so <laughs> I'll let you go first.
4: For an old guy, I am. Um, By the, the way, you look young to me. Thank you, thank you. The... Uh, website is W ren r e n n wealth management uh, uh, renwealth.com. I would say that uh, I would encourage anyone that is interested in this, if they would read my book. It's on Amazon, available on Amazon. And it again, is the finding book, the your book? money's greater purpose. If that resonates with you, then we've got a match. If it doesn't, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin. Yeah. I, uh,
3: I, Again, with PNC Wealth Management, I'm based uh, right here in, in Atlanta in Buckhead. Um, but PNC Wealth Management has a large presence throughout the country. Uh, specifically, my information, justin.sullivan at pnc.com, and would be glad to take a call,
2: 404-495-6443. Right. So i um, Itai, uh, Tsur, Jewish Federation, of Greater Atlanta. Uh, best way to reach me is either by email, I, Tia's and Tom, S's and Sarah, U, R's and Robert at JewishAtlanta.org or uh, you can call me at 404-870-1608.
0: As we're wrapping up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we talk about the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gasly frankel please go to our website at com, and remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Patrick Wren, Justin Sullivan, and and we were talking about philanthropy and how we should go about making gifts. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Managers on Business Radio X. And please, all of the attorneys and staff at Gastelitz Frankel would like to wish our guests and our listeners a happy Thanksgiving.